going to be in Mark 14. We're going to, uh, I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 21, and then verses 22 through 25 will be read as part of our communion liturgy. So Mark 14, starting at verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him, one after another, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. There's been a nagging question in my mind all week about this passage. I've thought about it in random times as I've pondered this scene, picturing the disciples with their master, enjoying the most important meal of their year together. Here it is. Why? Why would Jesus tell the disciples that one of them would betray him? This is an important evening. Passover is a meaningful occasion where they gather to remember God's deliverance from slavery, from Egypt for his people. As they eat through the various elements, they remember the bitterness, the tears of their bondage, the sweetness of his presence in the middle of their heartache, the bread made in haste, the miracle of being rescued. The disciples had asked him where they, he wanted to celebrate the yearly meal. Notice they did not ask if. If you want to celebrate the meal, they knew better. They knew he would want to because it was always good and right to take time out of their lives for this tradition of remembrance. Remembering is a vehicle God gives us so that we might always recognize him among us. Sometimes we remember with joy and laughter, other times lamenting with tears and sorrow. Maybe there are times of remembrance where it just feels perfunctory and we barely even feel anything. But still, God tells his people, remember, remember my saving action on your behalf. So that no matter where you are today, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, that you know that I am there to help you. So it is into this important evening that Jesus adds a new piece of the ritual. 
one that has sacred remembrance based in him, the Lord's Supper. So why do you think in the middle of this very important dinner that became even more important as he adds in this communion that Jesus tells them that one of them is a traitor? As they're enjoying their holiday feast, it's as though Jesus just drops this bombshell in the middle of their table. One of you, he says, is going to betray me. One of you here right now, one of my dearest disciples. Man, that would have been strange. At the most important time of honoring God, Jesus puts a difficult truth out there. So why now? He could have not said anything. What was going to happen was going to happen anyway. So why bother? Well, I came up with five or six reasons. So I want to share them with you. First, to warn the other disciples that there was a traitor among them. Jesus has been trying to tell them this trip to Jerusalem is not going to be normative It's going to get hard. I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to die. And it's one thing for them to know that the leaders of the temple don't like him. But to know that there is an enemy among them as one of them would have been shocking. See how anxious they get wondering who he thinks it is. It's actually kind of humorous as they ask themselves, it's not me, is it? I would think that they would know if it was them. But by doing this, he is giving them discernment for the future. There are going to be times in your life that you're going to be in the trenches and you're going to be working with someone, working for the Lord. And they're going to have plans to betray. They're going to have plans to leave. And the Lord is saying, watch, listen, have discernment. Second, I think he did it to tell Judas that he sees him. To tell Judas that he sees his heart, his motivation, the evil that he is going to soon do. While Jesus will break bread with this rogue disciple, he makes it clear. This is wrong. What you're doing, Judas, is wrong. Jesus always speaks the truth to us. Hiding is not an option. But also, Jesus is communicating. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to back down. Third. To give Judas a chance to make a different choice. At this point, Judas still could have done something different. The fact that he's so far in and will not change his course, he will not confess his sin, he will not ask for help, shows us how far gone he is. But it is never too late. We can always make a new choice even after the damage is done and we are living the consequences of our actions. God always holds out his hand to us. Fourth, I think Jesus did this to show his restrained power. Now this isn't completely intuitive, but by telling what he knows to be true, Jesus is also communicating that he plans to do nothing about it. This is not, as we know, how the art of war works. What would a true enemy of Judas have done? He would have gotten rid of him somehow. Whatever works, get rid of that guy. 
So not only does this demonstrate how Jesus is God in control, but it speaks volumes about his character and about his love for Judas. Jesus will not harm one of his followers, even though it could possibly save his life. Fifth, of course, it is to show his grace. Jesus has some harsh words here for Judas. He says it would be better for his betrayer to not have been born. That is a hard statement between God and Judas and everyone present and us reading this now. This stings. And then we wonder, oh, does God ever wonder or wish that I had not been born? But notice that it doesn't say he wishes Judas had not been born. And another way of thinking about this is that this choice is going to be so brutal for Judas that Judas is going to not want to live. So deep will be his grief. We know he takes his own life. But in one of the most beautiful acts of scripture, Jesus still offers Judas a seat at the table. He still dips his bread with him in fellowship and communion. Judas receives the very first sacrament of communion from the Lord's own hand. This is so powerful that no one is ever denied the love of the Savior, no matter what they have done or what they will do in the future. None of us deserve to come to the Lord's table on our own merit or goodness. We come because we have been invited. And he has made a place for us. There are many lessons for us here. But one of the greatest one is how we are more like Judas than we think we are. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and best for us. All of us come to the table of the Lord broken and sinful. And he wants us to know that he sees us our hearts and our minds, all of the good that we do and the ways that we are trying to live for him and also the wrong that we are thinking about doing, the wrong that we have done. And God doesn't stop that. He will not circumvent our will, but we need to know that as we approach the table that nothing is hidden from him. It is in giving ourselves to him and agreeing with him about our sin. And giving our sin to him that we find freedom from our bondage. Communion, of course, is where we come before God thanking him for bringing us out of our painful past. Remembering, remembering that past and how he has brought us into the land that he has promised us. It is a time that we are reminded of our frailty before his greatness. And we ask for his strength. To cover our vulnerabilities and our fears and our anger. In this moment, we look at our own heart and we see it with his eyes, asking him to show us again the ways that we may have betrayed him. It is a time we commit to live for him again, asking him for strength, submitting our will to him, knowing that when we trust only ourselves, it leads to places further away from him. How much we wish Judas could have trusted in God's mercy offered to him. Maybe one of the biggest reasons Jesus does what he does here is to show the disciples how different and new this ritual is. Communion is more than a remembrance. It is a moment where those who live for him, who trust in his salvation, 
can be transformed by his power right now, in this moment. So today, we look to Jesus to speak the truth to us about how it is that we come, who it is that we are now. And in the remembrance of his sacrifice, we ask him to empower us to be different, to enable us to make different choices in the patterns of our sins, that we might live in holiness before him. We have an opportunity today to let go of our agenda and our hurtful ways as we eat and drink of his body and blood. May it not just be a ritual for us where there is no change of heart. May today, may some of those things that we have been holding on to, some of those ways that God has been asking us to change, may we have the courage to ask him to help us, to truly change us and transform us. May this be a time of oneness where we respond with gratefulness to him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.